what their biggest regrets were, um, overwhelmingly the majority was they wish they didn't worry about what other people thought of them. So what held me back for so long was that very thing. I was growing, I would get a target on my back. I, you know, people, you know, would, I was taking things personally that I shouldn't have because in business, you just have to learn to have that thick skin. Um, but it also um, weighed so much heavier on me than most people ever would know because I was a, an alcoholic and I took the pressure and the stress and other people's expectations and I would escape. It was too much. So when I got so. Welcome to the Freedom Chasers podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. Hey guys, today we have Jennifer Weiner on the show, and she is going to deliver some bombs for us today. She's someone who's gone from millions of dollars in the hole in debt to building a very, very successful real estate business. We're going to talk about the art of systems and all of the things that it takes to build a business. So if you guys right now are struggling with this new market or you're having a tough time, this is the episode to listen to because I can almost assure you, you have not had to struggle like Jennifer has and come back from what she's come back from. So Jennifer, thank you so much for being on the show and take us into the story, like dive us into 2009, 2010. What were you going through and, and take us into it? Yeah, well, even if I want to like kind of take the DeLorean a little bit um, back to the past, I you know got into real estate in 03 and 04, and I was just so excited to be in an industry um, where the harder I work, you know, the more rewards I can get. You know, and I had come from like um, customer service, waiting tables, and still had that concept, but not at the scale of real estate. And I was always um, like obsessed with homes because, you know, home was that. Uh, you know, going, growing up, um, you know, my parents divorced, you know, I, I split the time between the home I grew up um, in with my dad that my great grandparents from Ireland had built. And they were so poor, they came here from America and they weren't able to own real estate in Ireland. So they were able to do that and establish a legacy for our family. Um, and just being it, losing our childhood home and just knowing how important roots were. And just when I was in business school, learning about how McDonald's was the biggest real estate owner in the world and being more excited about that component than their crappy cheeseburgers. But yeah, I was free. I got in, I bought two <laughs> homes. Both, um, both homes were mortgages were less than the rent I paid in Huntington Beach, California. And, um, you just started wow. quickly working with investors, um, buyers. There was a lot of investors and buyers back in 04, 05, 06. Um, and then I got to be an investor. I bought uh, apartments, multifamily, single family. I developed a luxury home project, partners. And then 2008 called. <laughs> I wanted its money back. Hmm. And I, this is, you know. Before we go into that, just give us a picture of what, what did your portfolio look like right at its pinnacle there? I was closing between 50 and 60 homes a year with me. And I had one assistant. Um, I, uh, I was acquiring like maybe one long-term rental property every month or two. And then um, I, I was in the middle of a luxury project. Those homes actually did get built, um, but they got built and finished in 08, right when the market crashed and were worth a third of what our loans were on them. <laughs> so, um, but uh, that was uh, up in Rio Verde's foothills in Scott, North Scottsdale for, for, for like a million bucks, you could have a beautiful home, lots of land. So, um, so I had 10 homes there. I think I had a uh, three to four multifamily and maybe five to six single family. 
And then, um, and I was flipping, but in 05 and 06, it was just so hard to find a flip because it was so crazy. So when, um, so that's kind of what it looked like. And then 07 was kind of the year it was like, you know, trying a lot of stuff, but there just wasn't a lot of sales. The REOs haven't, didn't happen yet. Like the crash didn't happen yet, but, and I had never, I'm a new business owner, right? So I didn't even realize I had money in the bank, but I didn't realize like, like the hole that I was about to get myself into. So when 2008 called and I literally had, um, you know, this luxury home project and the lender started calling me, they said, um, you know, we're calling your loan. I'm like, oh, you, you mean I, I need to extend my construction loan? Like, no, you need to meet, write a check of 1.2 million times eight. And I'm like, well, do you take IO, you know, uh, IOUs on post-it notes? Cause that's about all I have. <laughs> so it, that was a time where, I mean, really like everything just got lit on fire. I had to pivot so fast. I got into REOs. I got into short sales. I was selling $25,000 homes. Um, I literally was negotiating a short sale while giving birth to my third child in 2010. The doctor said to push and I'm like, I need five minutes. I'm on hold with the supervisor. And I also knew that was no way to live. <laughs> like I, you know, I have four kids. So the fourth child I had, like I was able to have somebody handle my calls while I was giving birth, but I saw that I needed leverage and, um, and, uh, you know, but I was willing to do whatever it took you know, to put money in the table, to still run my real estate business. But I needed to have my mind go into future oriented, like where am I building towards, not just surviving for today, but where are the opportunities? And so when the market turned around 2011, I was really um, posed to take advantage of those opportunities because I was on the internet, I was doing video before it was popular, you know, really kind of seeing where our market was moving to and then really just starting to I get a coach you know, starting to get into masterminds, surrounding myself by smarter people. And no longer did I feel like I was alone or did, like on, an, on my own island. So that was a really important part of my turning point in my career. Yeah. So let's dive into some of the numbers real quick. I mean, you were a million plus in debt. Like what was, I mean, if you, if you remember, what was the lowest you got? I probably um, wasn't keeping count because it was, Right. denial back then. I mean, I literally would ha wake up, my phone would have like 15, 20 phone calls. I'd have to ignore those every day. And, um, you know, I'd walk outside and they would repoed the car and my daughter would ask where it was. And I'm like making up excuses, but you know, one foot in front of the other, you know, I was able to, it took me all the way till 2013 to get to zero. <laughs> That's how long it took from 2000, really nine and 10 when it hit bottom. To 2013 yeah but in 2014 i started my team that really like i am growing a team not just having an assistant not having like virtual assistants but having a team that i would continue to grow um intentionally so that was in 2014 and of course it's changed and the market's changed um i still have my very first buyer's agent on my team today and her daughter so it's been 10 years together almost um but uh um Sorry, I was going to say something else, but I think I got a little ADD mm -hmm. moment. So let me, yeah, no worries. Let me, let me guide you. So it sounds like you paid a lot, if not all of these people back, like between the years of 2008 and 2013. I mean, I mean, that's just such a, 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 a testament to your character and, and to like, I mean, obviously just your ingenuity and your hard work to even be able to do that. I mean, you're seven figures in debt in a time where house prices are a third of what they've been. 
the stress of it, et cetera. Like walk us through, like what made you make that choice as opposed to declaring bankruptcy and, you know, give us, give us a process. Well, um, you know, first of all, there was a, there's statute of limitations and, you know, there was for someone that's young and I hate to talk even about the IRS, but there's not a lot of options. So you can either like find a way to pay it back or wait till like you're 60 and, you know, ask them to say that you're too old, but I didn't want to wait till I was 60. So it, you know, it, it took time, but at the same time I was building my mindset. I was building my skills. I was building my, um, business running skills. And, you know, it really got me excited too, as the, um, as the team evolved, I was able to add multiple streams of income, whether it be through our title company, through our insurance company, through our, you know, revenue share, you know, there's so many businesses that we are affiliated with. So instead of one bucket of, um, income is able to do the same thing, but add now I have like five, six um, buckets of income, all just from real estate funding as the source. So um, I just wrote a book, you know, so it's really um, fun, awesome when you get to really leverage your money, leverage your time, leverage your skills, um, and how they can all coincide together, you know, within a structure and systems, um, but it pads your income. So I might have a, a month that's a little light for the team, but the other buckets by far pad those light months. Yeah, absolutely. And so tell us a little bit about the book and what was the process? I mean, writing a book is no joke. Like what were the things that you had to learn to write the book? And then what did you learn while writing the book? Well, what I learned is it always sounds like it's going to be a lot easier up front than it really is. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> But, you know, like anything I do, I'm like a all in, I'm like all in or all out. So uh, I've always wanted to write a book. Um, when I was a kid, books were my friend before kids were my friends. So I was kind of like the nerd and, you know, let that go spend time in the library and recess, but um, had a broker once. And I love, I love people that challenge me in life. Cause he told me, he's like, Jen, either shut up or write the book. So when actually um, Forbes Advantage had actually come to me, so it wasn't something I really searched for and they were looking for an expert to write a book in real estate. And I was, I was like, I say yes to a lot of things. So I said yes. And, uh, but what I learned is like, first of all, it's, it's part of my legacy. You know, it's part of like the funnel. It's like everything to have something complete that you've done that you can like hold so different. Cause with real estate, it's always evolving. It's never like, you're never, like you never reach that goal because the next year your goals are going to be more, right? They're always growing. So to have something in um, real estate that I can say forever, you know, that I did. And also it really is all about uh, the other people transferring my knowledge and skills to the next generation. And they do that for the next generation. You know, that's how you know, evolution happens. So, um, but, uh, but yeah, it was a, it was a great process. I had a great team. My marketing manager has been with me for five years. So we've grown so much together. We wrote this together and uh, really it was like a lot of just pulling all of the things we have in our coaching and our training and our listing presentations and putting it into one book. And I would really wish I had a book like this when I started, cause it was just uh, even the numbers and how to run the P and L, how to run your meetings efficiently. Um, like it's everything I've learned you know, that like compiled, uh, that a real estate agent with a short attention span can read it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> That's been the interesting thing. Like 
the number of people on the podcast, myself included, that have ADD or ADHD is like so high. It's so crazy. I think it's probably what fuels us to be great in business because we can we can adapt so quickly, but also, you know, it, it can make it hard too to grow a business without systems and processes. So kudos to you for getting that done. So taking us back into the story. So essentially you, you get work really, really hard. You you start saving. I actually want to get into some of those specifics. So would you save like a certain percentage of the money to pay to debt? Like how would you structure what you pay to debt and what you covered use, to use your uh, cover your life? You know, I lived very minimally. Like, so, um, yeah. you know, my cars were paid off at that point. Um, I bought any clothes I bought, I bought at Target. You know, we weren't going out to dinner. And I like, for me, like the quicker I could pay off that big chunk. And I'm like a big, I'm not going to be yeah. somebody that's like, I was at 18%. I had to get to a 22%. I, it was so much that the only way I knew I was going to like get ahead is to build it so big, bigger than I ever even planned to. And, um, and mm. by paying off the biggest chunk. So like when I would pay the IRS off, cause I owed them a lot of money. Um, when I got to write them, okay, I'm going to write a hundred thousand dollar check today. And that just felt so good. Like to be able to be like, okay, in like six more months, this is gone. And even to know that like the, you don't have a lien with the IRS or they don't like have like, they're not coming after you. I mean, it feels like, like the mafia just let you off the hook, you know? So, um, that to me was just, uh, that like a weight on your shoulder. You don't realize you have until it's gone. Um, but yeah, like I, when I had told you before, like getting to zero was so empowering for me because from there I felt like now the sky's the limit. I'm out of the Canyon, you know, zero felt just fine. Um, because I knew I could build with that. Yeah. So you get to zero. Now, not only are you at zero, you're equipped with a very different skill set and a very different mindset. Can you tell us a little bit, what was the mindset that you developed in those five years? Um, and then how did it serve you going forward? You know, when I look at like agents and I, I meet so many agents all the time and, um, and I listen to podcasts all the time and it's like, when you meet agents, most of the high achievers you meet, it's because they've had some trauma in their life and they were able to get through it, and not be victims to it. And so I'm no different. Like, you know, growing up, I had my fair share of trauma, but also in real estate, I had my fair share of trauma. And it is neuro neurologically science that your brain cannot be trained for resilience unless you're in a time of crisis unless you're in a time of stress and it's how you frame that stress and how you take action that matters. And how I frame stress even a year ago is so different how I frame stress today. You know, I really am mindful of um, every, uh, every, like not all the time, but every thought, every feeling, if I'm feeling anxiety, why, what am I scared of? Um, but to know that like, you never know what you're made of until you know, you're in it. But when you're in it, what else are you going to do? Die? You know, what are you going to do? Like you have kids, you know, relying on you. What are you going to get up in the morning and just stare at the clock all day? No, you find a way to take action because your why is so, is so big. And, you know, they say God doesn't give you more than you can handle. And I, you know, sometimes I question that a lot, but looking right. back, I absolutely believe it because if you don't just become a victim to it, but you really um, take full accountability for all your circumstances. So everything I was in, you know, what, how did I get there? What do I have to learn? 
And it could even be something where you kind of feel like the victim where maybe somebody did something really bad to you in business and, you know, maybe it was personal on top of that and you have to learn, okay, what did I do to cause this? What can I learn? What can I change in my behavior? So, you know, I don't have the same pattern. So the, the resilience was really what I learned that I, um, I was capable of so much more than I would have ever believed. Um, because it was the most stressful thing I could have ever imagined having like the IRS come after me. And I'm like, who am I? I'm not a big person. I'm nobody, but, um, but really there's so many people I meet every day and it might not even be their story of resilience within real estate, but so many people that have overcome so many odds in life, so many. And I remind them of that. Think about what you've gone through, the hardest thing you've ever gone through. Maybe you were, you know, brutally raped when you're 14. Maybe you had a um, really hard upbringing in childhood. Maybe, uh, maybe it was uh, something that happened in college. Whatever it was, think about that time because that's really where we're made and where we find what we're made of. Yeah. And so as you start the post-zero journey, like what did the business look like? How did it grow? How did it scale from there? Yeah. So 2014, I started, I had um, an assistant, which kind of like you know, my executive assistant, TC, all that. I had uh, my buyer's agent and I had a virtual assistant. I had actually, my virtual assistant was um, my original team member and um, I had him for three, four years. Um, but uh, then I really didn't scale my team until 2018. So uh, to the 2018, I had four people on my team total. And uh, today I have 50 and then we have 430 in our network. So, um, so really it was going from like from solo agent to small team was fine. It was easy. I'm not going to lie. It was not like there wasn't without challenges, but I was in production. Um, that production was, uh, made me feel like I had, I was, uh, having a lot better profitability with my team than I really was. Um, besides it wasn't scaled. It, I wasn't really that all that leveraged. I still worked a lot. But I did block off Sundays in 2014 and never worked a Sunday since. That was a way that I was able to build leverage personal time into my business. So my, my kids had more of me and I didn't turn into a, you know, like a crazy bitch if I worked like 30 days in a row. So um, right. in 2018, I did so many things wrong as I scaled. I hired, I made up positions for people that I liked, you know, to, I'm like, Hey, I'll pay $50,000 a year to be my wow coordinator. And it didn't work, but through all of that, like there was so much I learned. We picked up channel accounts. We, we in, improved our systems tenfold. We opened up a real estate school that's been functioning the last three years, um, teaching new agents, everything they didn't learn in real estate school. And so we've, um, I love building this building process. So it looks night and day just in four years. So even if I've been in real estate 20 years, it really was the path in 2018 that I took with an intentional um, purpose to scale. Yeah. Many of us on this journey have lost a lot of money in bad ideas. Um, and, and a lot of like, like what you've talked about when you first hit some success, you want to bring all your friends along. And sometimes there's not enough attention to, to the connectedness of the business. Like if you look at your journey over the last five years and all the mistakes, how many of them do you think were worth it? Not necessarily because you, you, like how many of those mistakes translated into bigger wins today? Almost all of them. Yeah. I mean, I've always been somebody that 
has loved to hear um, hero stories, like rags to riches, like somebody that like lost their legs and like ran a marathon. So, um, so for me, like, uh, sorry, I lost my train of thought again. <laughs> love heroes, love hero stories, rags yeah. to riches. Um, sorry, the original question. Uh, so, so all of the failures, oh, yeah. like how many of them translated to, yeah. Yeah. The one thing if I said that if there was any regret that I had, um, and it's crazy cause it's not, I'm not unique in this regret. Um, the longest science study that's ever been done in history, um, and it's still going on. They've tracked people from the builder generation in world war II all the way through and on their deathbeds and what their biggest regrets were, um, overwhelmingly the majority was they wish they didn't worry about what other people thought of them. So what held me back for so long was that very thing. I was growing, I would get a target on my back. I, you know, people, you know, would, I was taking things personally that I shouldn't have because in business, you just have to learn to have that thick skin. Um, but it also um, weighed so much heavier on me than most people ever would know because I was a, an alcoholic and I took the pressure and the stress and other people's expectations and I would escape, it was too much. So when I got sober in 2018, and uh, that was a very spiritual experience for me, every year I can say I've let go so much more from what other people think of me. My people are my people. I'm, if, you, if, you don't, if you're not my vibe, cool, like, you know, namaste, but I'm gonna go where the energy is, like where I'm feeling the vibes and where I can help and people appreciate me. And I'm not worried about the people that don't like me or don't wanna be a part of it. And that has been um, probably the, the biggest thing for me in business and in personal that's helped just really spur me is not looking back in my rearview mirror, not looking at all the comments, not looking at all the negativity that's out there because there's enough out there to like have a full-blown panic attack 24 hours a day if you wanted to do it, but that's just not where my mind has gone. So out of every negative, there's always two sides, right? There's the light and the dark, you know, we live in a dualist world, but what's the bright side, you know? So like when one door closes, as hard as that door feels when it closes, I know that another door is opening or maybe it's a window or maybe it's a doggy door, who knows, but there is an opening. So talk to me, and this might be a hard question to answer, but talk to me about like, how do you define who is your people? Is it a feeling like I feel great when I'm around this person? Is it shared purpose? Like, how do you know who, who should be in your life? Well, to your first point, Tupac said, true homies make you feel good, <laughs> but uh, it's, uh, it's shared values. You know, I, like one of my, um, top two values is, uh, curiosity, thinking big mindset and to accountability and personal responsibility. I don't like to be around victims. Um, I, I can't see myself as a victim. And so when I'm around people that think big, people that challenge me, people that call me out on my stuff, you know, those are the people I wanna be around because they force me to become a better version of myself. And there's a lot of reciprocation. Like we all wanna help each other, you know, like they help you, someone helps you, what do you wanna do? You wanna help them back. So to be around people like that, and there's always going to be, especially the bigger your world gets, there's always going to be a world that, you know, people don't like you, you know, happened in high school, happened after high school, and it never stops. So it's just, I don't let that keep me up at night. 
you know, if it's my kids not liking me, yeah, I'm going to keep, that's going to keep me up at night and I'm going to get some count a therapist or, you know, but as far as like the worrying about the people that aren't like a part of your mission and letting that go. Yeah. So you mentioned your kids. So obviously your kids are worth, you know, the, the effort, like how, how far does that extend? I mean, is that siblings, parents, like at when, when is it like, Hey, I'm not taking this anymore. You know, I, um, Jay Shetty had a podcast not too long ago and he talked about the one in the family and maybe you're the one in your family, but I believe there's somebody in every family that comes here to kind of disrupt things. And for me, that was like, I didn't know what our values were as a family, you know, had like the Irish alcoholics on one side and the, the rednecks that dysfunctional on the other side. I'm like, what do we stand for? And I really think that's an American thing. Cause when I meet um, immigrants, I just, most of them, if not all of them, like, ha- like know what they come from, know what they stand for, know what their family stands for. So family is everything to me. My sweet grandma was like practically raised me. I uh, get into the genetics of it all, but um, my kids, seven, 12, 15 and 25. And she, my oldest is married. She owns her first home. Um, that home has doubled in the three years she's owned it. Um, her husband's very smart and listens to my financial advice. So, um, so it's the legacy that you leave behind. Cause I'm like a morbid person. I think about the funeral. I think about who's going to show up. Like, how did I make people feel like, how am I going to leave this world? Am I going to leave it a better place? Are my grandkids going to even know me? And, um, and what can I do to give them the tools and everything that they need that they can carry the torch on? And so that, uh, that is everything to me. And like, for me, that has always been my biggest purpose. Um, I talk about mindset a lot because when I was 14, I tried to commit suicide and I'm not saying that for pity or anything, but, it, um, but mental illness is a real thing. And when you have a why and you could put, and it doesn't have to be kids, it could simply be your family. It could be, but it has to be something bigger than you. But that has gotten me up out of those canyons. That's gotten me to, I'll do anything to, you know, to be, to like not have this problem with alcohol. Cause my kids are way too important for me to have this problem, you know? And even though it was yeah. not just for them, it was for me. Like when I think about, you know, how I'm going to live my life, like I think of them first always. Yeah. You mentioned Jay Shetty's podcast in the one, the one person who's essentially the disruptor. I'm assuming you view yourself that way. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a little different. <laughs> I'm yeah. not a conformist and you know, it was growing up. It, I felt like it was a curse, but at this, at 45 years old, I think it's a blessing. Yeah. Same. I, I would be the disruptor in my family as well, which is why what you're saying, it, it's, it's of such interest to me. You know, it's like, because you see the world a certain way and you want to go out and make the world that way, you know, some people can gravitate. Like, I feel like we get the best of both worlds. We get the people that, that magnetize to us in ways that are just so beautiful. And, and then there's like a repelling factor that is so strong as well. Like, I don't Mm -hmm. know if you sense that. Yeah. I, I honestly, like, um, I, spirituality is so important to me because I, uh, I've had a shed, a really unhealthy pattern with judgment because I grew up in, with around judgment, judging is around me. Like even just the church I grew up in, as a kid, I was so judgmental, but I can feel judgment like an energy. And so I never want to give that energy out. 
And so because I become less judgmental, I've opened my mind and I don't like, it's always, and I always think about what my sweet grandma told me and she used to wrap our presents in newspaper and foil and she'd say, Jenny, it's always on the inside of what counts. And she always told me that about people. So I always remember that. And it's, um, and at the end of the day, yes, we sell houses, they can be beautiful houses, they can be fix up, but it's the humans at the other end. You know, it's always that human game. Um, humans that work for you, humans that you help in the business, humans that you meet in the business. Um, and even they're evolving, but they're still humans, just like you knew. Yeah. Tell us about the craziest real estate experience transaction you've had so far. You know, you asked me this before and I'm like, oh gosh, oh, I hope I'm picking the best one because there's so many, but this one was a little weird. We got a call from a contractor or a seller who was really upset because the contractor had been overdoing the home inspection, but he tripped the wire to the fridge. So the power of the, to the fridge went out. So understandably they'd be upset that their groceries melted, right? That's not why they're mad. <laughs> they said, this is uh, quote unquote, uh, my cat got mushy. They had their cat frozen in their freezer and they planned to take it to their next house. Um, and, uh, it melted and they could feel their cat's body mushy. So had to take care of that problem that day. <laughs> so crazy. Do they say like why they're keeping their cat in the freezer? Did anybody ask? I didn't, I didn't ask. Yeah, right? <laughs> I don't want to know the answer. <laughs> You're right. How funny. What is the vision for you and your business in the next 12 to 18 months? 12 to 18 months. So it's doubling our agent network. We're expanding nationwide and I'm meeting so many wonderful agents in different parts of the country that, you know, Phoenix is very, it's like a test kitchen. You know, any model yeah. wants to see what they're going to work, they come to Phoenix and we could take it for granted, like how much we have to pivot and adapt here. Cause you go to other markets, they don't have the collaboration. They don't have like the just open information. So, um, I know growing a team is something personally, I'm just absolutely obsessed about helping other agents grow their teams. Um, and that is uh, something that I'm uh, in the next 18 months, doubling agents that really want to grow their business and their wealth um, and using it, leveraging with people and systems. So it is a undertaking. Not everybody should probably do it, but for the ones that, you know, willing to take the risk, um, because they like helping people. You have to want to help people if you're growing a team. Um, but yeah, that's that our team, um, last year did 225 million. We're on track right now for 300 million, but we're really pushing to 350 million and, um, really growing our, we're growing our coaching and then, um, still selling my book and, uh, growing our title company and our insurance company and happy clients. Incredible. I mean, that is such a large amount of production and such a great team. Like, first of all, thank you so much, Jennifer, for sharing about your life and your business. Like, and there's so many nuggets here. I mean, between like, I mean, we didn't even go deep into the fact that you overcame suicidal ideation at 14 or, you know, those things, but then you came back from millions of dollars of deficit and building a team that is thriving and successful. So like, there's so much guys that you could take away from this, write down something that you learn, share it with somebody you know, so they can hold you accountable. This freedom is acquired one action at a time. And if you take steps day by day, before you know it, you too will be living a life of freedom. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next episode.